Good morning, everyone. Um, the first reading comes from uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 9 to 11. After they had eaten and drunk at Silo, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the table beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you would look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. But this will give your servant a male child and then, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He will drink neither wine nor intoxicants and no razor shall touch his head. Uh, 1 Samuel verse, chapter 1 verses 19 to 20. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, but she said, I have asked him of the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts before in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The bowels of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry are fat with spoil. The barren have borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might does one prevail. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might does one prevail. The Lord, his adversaries shall be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Sometimes when calling for social justice, the most effective voice is the most vulnerable voice. Martin Luther King may have been the great orator, 
but it took Rosa Parks to strategically sit in the wrong seat before she and the Alabama bus boycott that she triggered became national symbols for change in the civil rights movement. Similarly, we might ask why it is that the most effective voice in international efforts against uh, climate change and the use of fossil fuels in recent years has been Greta Thunberg, a young schoolgirl from Sweden who is incredibly still just 17 years old. Similarly, the strongest voice calling for gender equality in Pakistan is Malala Yousafzai, who was shot in the head by the Taliban as a teenager and recovered to win the Nobel Peace Prize at the age of 17. Similarly, the right for anyone to vote if you're a woman in UK elections was won by the steadfast witness and courage of the suffragettes, including Emmeline Pankhurst and Emily Wilding Davidson. Similarly, the modern feminist movement found its origins in the writings of Simone de Beauvoir, and I could go on for the entirety of this sermon, naming people like Claudia Jones, the Trinidad and Tobago-born journalist and activist deported from the USA for becoming a black feminist leader in the American Communist Party. And then, of course, there is Mary, the mother of Jesus, whose song of justice in Luke's gospel, often known as the Magnificat, heralded the birth of Jesus. And all of these women, the named and the unnamed, who have opened their mouths and sung or spoken songs and poems of justice, all of these are the spiritual descendants of Hannah who we meet in our Bible reading for this morning as we continue through the narrative lectionary this autumn. And Hannah is a truly remarkable person, not least because we actually know her name. Most of the women in the Old Testament were unnamed, known only as wife of or daughter of a named man. Additionally, it is equally rare in the Old Testament for a woman to be heard speaking. Whereas Hannah is both named and speaks, which already makes her rare within the biblical narrative. But even more unusual is the fact that this woman, whose name we know and whose words we hear, was in social terms a nobody. She wasn't married to someone significant. She hadn't done anything to establish her reputation. She was just an ordinary married woman with no children, which in the world of the Old Testament was almost as insignificant as you could get. These days, of course, we are used to women having control over reproduction from effective contraception to IVF treatment for infertility. But there are still plenty of women who long for children but can't have them. And who hear the desires of their own hearts in Hannah's prayer for a child 
And although the focus for our sermon this morning is not on issues of childlessness, we do well to recognise that a story where a woman prays for a child and then immediately gets one is a difficult story for some women to hear. And we need to remember that when we bring children to the church for dedication, there will be those present who find such services profoundly painful. So let's return for a moment to the social world of the Old Testament, where barrenness was often regarded as a curse from God. And parents who got to old age without children were not just at risk economically with no one to look after them, but they were also outcast socially, stigmatized for not having been blessed by God. Culturally, therefore, in the ancient Near East, the pressure to have children was overwhelming. And Hannah's request for a male child would have echoed the desire of most women of her time. Female children in that day were a, a liability that cost you money, whereas male children could work and bring money into the family. If you could only have one child, you wanted a boy. And so that was what you prayed for first. And even down to our world today, there are still some cultures that prefer sons to daughters and female infanticide is one of the tragedies of human history. So this makes what Hannah says next to the Lord so remarkable. She says that if she is granted a male child, she will dedicate that child to the Lord. He won't be the answer to her security in old age because he would have been dedicated as a Nazarite offered in lifelong service to God. And here we get our first glimpse that the significance of Hannah's story is bigger than her personal desires or concerns. She starts with her personal experience of childlessness, but then moves beyond this to a recognition that how God responds to her in her time of powerlessness is in fact a profound revelation of who God is. And that this in turn places a call back on her to respond to that revelation of God's nature. In other words, if God is the kind of God who looks with favour on a powerless, childless woman, then this is also a God who looks with favour on all those who live with poverty and injustice and oppression. But Hannah also realises that God's response to those afflicted is not through a simple answering of prayer or the granting of their heartfelt desires. The blessings that God gives to the world are not to be taken individually nor hoarded personally. They are always for the common good because God is always at work for the good of all people. And so Hannah prays for a son, but as she does so, she promises to offer that son back 
to God. Her own decisions about Samuel reflect her understanding of how God works in human affairs. God is not some localised, family-centric deity. God is not some household God to whom you bring your personal desires. And God's blessings, when they are given, are not for the fortunate, favoured few. God blesses the world and does so by remembering the vulnerable and the oppressed. So then Hannah prays this remarkable prayer. And in doing so, she herself becomes a prophet of God, proclaiming God's nature into being in the world. Extrapolating from her own experience, Hannah realises that God is not on the side of the strong and the powerful, but rather is always on the side of the weak and the powerless. She realises that God's blessings are not found in fine food and abundant living, but in the feeding of the hungry and the care of the dispossessed. She realises that many children are not, in fact, a sign of God's favour, and that life is a gift given for the blessing of many. She realises that God is not a local tribal or regional deity who pours goodness upon those who worship faithfully, but rather is the God of all people far and near, longing always to raise up the poor and lift up the needy. As Hannah puts it, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them God has set the world. Hannah's son, of course, goes on to become the great prophet Samuel, who anoints the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. But I want to suggest that her greatest legacy is not her son. It was the vision of God that she articulated. And Hannah's song was echoed a thousand or more years later in the Song of Mary, who similarly proclaims the overthrow of the dominant social order when she sang with joy at the imminent birth of her son, Jesus. And within the Christian tradition, the vision of Hannah's song finds its fulfilment in the revelation of God that comes into being through Mary, another insignificant woman who dared to respond with faith. And it continues to find its fulfilment in our world as women speak out from the truth of their experience to challenge oppression and highlight injustice. From the courage of those who have told their stories as part of the hashtag MeToo movement, to the women who have blessed our Baptist family through their gifts of ministry, leadership and preaching, despite those voices that have tried to deny their right to do this. The insights of those who have been disempowered by society, patriarchy and misogyny can still speak truth to power, just as Hannah's voice three millennia ago reveals the bias of God towards the poor and the vulnerable. This is not, however, 
to fetishize the voices of the abused or to excuse their treatment in some way, as if we somehow need those who have been oppressed in order to hear God speak. That's not it at all. Rather, it is a recognition that when human failings create structural oppression, whether on the grounds of gender, ethnicity, sexuality, or social status, God is always at work with and within those who live with disempowerment. And God's nature is always to bring justice to those facing injustice. So can we hear the Gospel of Hannah? Can we rejoice that God raises up the poor and empowers the weak? And can we, with her, learn to dedicate to God the deepest desires of our own hearts? As we catch a glimpse of God as one who is above all and in all and through all. To quote Hannah, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them God has set the world. A moment of silence. So this is a time of our service when we discuss a little bit how we have been affected by the sermon ourselves. And I welcome Amy and Dermot and Ian, as Simon has already mentioned. And I hope you're already starting to think about what you might say or think, or I think what I want to sort of say is let's try and make this, how did that speak to me? as opposed to some sort of theory or some sort of, you know, uh, philosophy. But how did it really speak to me in my place? So did you want to go, or Amy, or should I... Uh, so has Ian got anything he wants to add before we... Because it's more difficult probably for yeah. you. Um, well, I think for me, this is a call to um, open my heart and mind um, to the powerless and specifically women in this world who are in that position. Um, I mean, I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm a guy, you know, so it, it's kind of, you know, so, so I'm, and I'm, you know, I have lots of privileges and yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm so just so struck by the thrust of this passage, but also the thrust of the kingdom um, that Jesus was bringing in. Um, seems to me that was such a powerful message at the time and it needs to be a powerful message again, but it's one that got lost in church history and um, in it's being rediscovered and that's wonderful. But um, yeah, so it's, a, it's something we really need to fight to keep focused on. Um, this whole idea of, you know, the preferential, uh, octave of the poor, if you like, in a posh sort of theological way, but it's something that is just not at the focal point very often of, um, I don't know, our focus, but, you know, the, the poor, um, underprivileged women get right at the bottom of the pile. Um, you know, I have some little experience maybe of that through uh, over the years, but um, yeah, so it's a, it's a call for me to remember God's preference to, you know, to use the powers. Um, and what, what is my response to that? You know, um, what am I, you know, what do, where do I look in the world to, to see God working? And, and wonderfully, as Simon has said, 
Um, we see God working absolutely through through the powerless. And I think that's such a, a, a wonderful, uh, you know, it's such a, a wonderful challenge. And it's a wonderful, I think, uh, I won't go on much longer, but I just do, do think that that's an area of the gospel and of God's work that we need just to be really, really conscious of and, and not focus on the sort of, you know, I don't know, the, 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 very often the focal point isn't on those people. So I just think that's a wonderful reminder. And yeah, it's a challenge to me. So, and it's wonderful that God uses this, you know, um, you know, uses people who are powerless. Absolutely. It's, it's a great lesson. Thank you, Ian. That's lovely. I think it is so central to the gospel. And I love the uh, echoes to Jesus coming and to Mary's um, prophecy as she spoke when she knew. And uh, it made me also think of Jesus being presented at the temple when he was just a, a tiny baby and, and the sort of Simeon and Anna and what they had to say about him, but this sense of God coming to our world to seek out those who really feel somehow left behind and forgotten and uh, unable to uh, participate somehow. And he says, no, you're my special people. Um, Thank you. Ah, thanks. Um, I was struck when I read this um, just how incredibly angry Hannah is. Um, I think she's a very angry person. I mean, she kind of, um, in a way you could say she has got her victory. She has got the things that she wanted, but there is a lot of sense of um, someone who's been pressed on for a very long time. Um, and that the sense of that the evil will be punished and the good and those who've been oppressed will prevail. Um, so I think it made me think about how it's important in terms of justice to think about not um, tone policing people, I guess, which is a way of saying um, people who have been oppressed and who are angry might not say things in the nicest possible way. They might um, speak in a very emotional way. And I think that is what Hannah's doing here, but that doesn't mean that their point of view isn't valid. Um, and that actually we need to sit up and listen to that and, I think of things like Black Lives Matter, for example, um, in terms of there being people speaking in a very, um, there was a lot of anger coming through that has been silenced for a very long time. And that's now coming out. And some people perhaps have found that difficult to deal with. They shrunk back from that. They shrunk back from that sense of um, people wanting justice, wanting um, punishment for those who have done things that they perceive are, are wrong. Um, and, but actually we need to listen to that and take that on board um, because it is um, actually really important. Um, I don't know what I'm going to say. No, I think that's the main, the main thing. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Amy. And we, we can always come back to you yeah. in a minute. <laughs> there's a bit going on in the chat, so I don't know if there's anything that... I yeah. can't quite read it. So no, I, I can read. Let, let me read this. So um, Helen has come in agreeing with Ian and has said, how does the empowerment and contribution of women in God's kingdom get so lost in church history and establishment now? And then a further agreement with Amy, such problems when established leaders say to oppressed people that they should watch their tone. Lovely. Thank you for the comments and keep them coming um, and keep chatting to each other. Uh, Dermot, do you have some... Yes, I have a few thoughts. I remember the story of Hannah and Elkanah, her husband, and Samuel as a child, and it was, it was taught as a children's story in church. And um, 
uh, it is not really a children's story. I remember too that her husband Elkanah had two wives, Penina and Hannah, and Penina was fertile and had children and taunted Hannah because she was childless in a culture where to be barren or to be childless was a source of profound shame. And despite the fact that her husband loved her and made it clear that he loved her, her heart was broken. And I was struck in the reading, uh, and the reading really did my heart good this morning. I love Hannah because of her honesty in her prayers. She takes God seriously. She takes her relationship with him seriously. And she speaks honestly about her pain, her discomfort, her shame, her longings, her hope. And she pours all this out. And I remember too that Eli watching her assumed she was drunk rather than a woman doing business with God. And uh, I, I absolutely, sorry, I should hold it. I absolutely uh, love that about her. I love the idea of those who have been silenced finding a voice. And I think that's in the character and nature of our God. Simon mentioned too that Hannah was a nobody. And it reminded me immediately of Hosea, Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, which is where the 223 organization takes its name. Hosea, Hosea was married to Gomer, a prostitute. They had three children whom God named. So the parents didn't name them, God named the children. And one of the children was called Nobody or not my people. And Simon said that Hannah was a nobody. And as soon as I heard the word nobody, I pinged because uh, it reminded me of 2.23. And Hosea chapter 2, verse 23 says, one translation has it, I will say to, the, to nobody, as in the child that God named, I will say to nobody, you are my special somebody. Or I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people, and they will answer, you are our God. And uh, it just speaks to me of the hope within this story. And, and my final comment is just Hannah's uh, song uh, of, of praise and, and, and gratitude afterwards. The fullness of it, the richness of it, the depth of it, the, the breadth of it. Um, and even she said, uh, the Lord is a God of knowledge. And here's a woman still taking her relationship with God seriously. And that encourages me to take my relationship to God seriously, to be honest in my communication with him, to be honest about the things that bother me, and uh, to take him at his word, to pour it out, and to wait and see what he does with what we offer, and uh, to, yeah, to see what the relationship brings, because... I believe he longs for a relationship with us. Thank you, Dana. Yeah, I think that each of us is, is special. Somebody um, speaks to the power of God that he can do that, that uh, 8 billion people, but each person is God's special somebody. So yeah, uh, I think that's the most important thing to take away from this morning. Can I maybe just add something? Um, yep. Thanks. Go ahead, Ian. Yeah, um, I think what struck me personally um, was how much this reminded me of my own sister. My sister died in December, and it's really focused me in on my sister's life. Jill, Jill was a single lady, a bit older than me. She um, and I think she struggled a lot with that. 
Um, she would have struggled with not having children. You know, she didn't make a big deal of this, um, really. You know, she got on with life. And at her funeral, um, what was really wonderful was to see the fruit of this very humble, quiet woman. Um, hundreds of people came to the church. Um, she taught English to foreign students, um, women, um, Muslim women. You know, it was a real vindication, I think, of this sense that um, God, you know, uses those who are lowly of heart. Um, you know, it really um, drove home to me. And, 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 you know, Jill was very, very struck and very hurt by so much that went on in church, of the sorts of, you know, days when there was sort of Mother's Day, you know, she would be really struggling with that. And, and I think the church has improved massively over the years, but, you know, she carried a huge burden there, but, you know, the fruit of her life was just fantastic. In, in so many ways and so just I'm very much reminded personally of, um, of Jill um, through hearing of this story and reminded yeah of, of and I and Jill would often say to me oh you know I don't think I'm you know oh you know I'm, what, uh, you know she would sort of feel that she wasn't really significant and I would say to her you are the real deal you know you you do all this amazing stuff and so that was what that just really strikes home to me today and uh, it's good to be reminded. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. That's lovely. That's very personal. Thank you. So let us pray. Loving and all-powerful God, we thank you today that you are incomparable, that there is none other like you. We thank you that all we have comes from you, that you have remembered us and have set us free that you are able to reverse our human stances of position and power, that others may see the great things you are doing. We thank you that you are the judge of all, lifting up the poor and raising the needy. And so we are humbled that you hear us when we call to you, as Hannah did, in our times of deepest longing. And may we also express our gratitude as Mary did when she realized God's action in her pregnancy. And so we are emboldened to bring before you this morning those requests that come from the deepest longings of our hearts. We recognize that your response may often not be quite what we would envisage, but we know that you act for the greater good of us all. We pray again today for the ongoing efforts to counter the coronavirus pandemic. We ask for wise decisions from our leaders, for ongoing energy for our health workers, and for sensible behavior from all as we respond to the challenges and restrictions of our situation. We pray too for the economic impact that the virus brings particularly for those whose jobs have already been, been lost or are at risk. We pray for other issues of concern in our own country, for decisions being made about free school meals during school holidays for those in need, for those who experience the domestic violence that increases when families are under greater pressure for those particularly women leaving prison with nowhere to go. 
for those with ongoing health issues that are not being properly addressed when the focus is elsewhere. For continuing talks about post-Brexit deals and the results these will have on us all. We pray too for issues of concern in the wider world, for debates concerning what action should be taken to counter climate change, for those whose livelihoods are dependent on self-sufficiency that can no longer be sustained as a result of drought or floods, for decisions on how to restrict the impact of growing international debt in many poorer countries. We pray for those countries with forthcoming elections, that wise choices may be made for the leaders of the future. We pray for people in situations of violence, particularly for Azerbaijan and Armenia, and for the, the pupils and family of the teacher murdered in Paris last Friday. And now let us pray for a few minutes in silence for whatever is particularly pertinent to ourselves, bringing our own deepest longings before God. And above all, loving God, we ask that your mercy may be the guide for our world. Give those with power and authority a vision of justice for all that the poor, the hungry, the disempowered may truly know your support. In all this, we pray that your kingdom may indeed come on earth. Amen.